Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Warning, this podcast may contain bad language and content that some listeners may find offensive and difficult to write down. Jimmy Jillica's cleaves. I think we've got a guest. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't prepared for that. I don't really know what to do with it either. Welcome to Seesaw Podcast with your hosts, T and Cleaves. Every week, bringing some much-needed balance and humour to brighten up what can sometimes be a dark, disabled world. Welcome back to Seesaw, the home of Seesaw. All content to do with Seesaw, apart from actually Seesaws. Please, how's things? It's ah, uh, yeah, I'm all good. Ready for the ready for this app. How about you? Not too bad got a guest um and i'm not going to introduce the guest now because that's done at the start of the episode so why waste breath let's hope that that does happen otherwise this <laughs> is going to be kind of awkward i am pretty sure it does let me feel the static hello everyone and welcome back of course i am here t and because we're doing this now, I am wearing a grey turtleneck jumper and a black Under Armour hat and of course we have Cleves. Hello. Today wearing grey and white plaid shirt and black jeans. Great. I didn't say what jeans I'm wearing, but they're black. No one cares. But of course, we are joined by guests, as I said. And this week, we are joined by Braille-proof reader and published author, Macy Lewis. Hi. Hey, guys. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? Very good. good. Very good. Um, Would you like my wardrobe choice right now, what I'm wearing? If you're comfortable saying so. Of course. So I'm wearing jeans. They're lighter denim. And then I have on a sweatshirt and it's yellow and orange. And I think there's some red in there too. It's tie-dye. It's nice. Much more interesting than my, my gray turtleneck. And I just haven't got changed from work. <laughs> I usually like, you know, gray and black. Sometimes I'll venture into the bright colors. It sounds like you're smashing it today with the bright colors. So, of course, as I said, yeah, published author, uh, five books up to this point, isn't it? Yes. Wonderful, including the Hidden Heart series, and you've done a few children's books as well, so covering a, a bit of a spectrum there. Yes, definitely. Before we get started, are you happy to sort of give yourself a, a very quick intro and, if you're comfortable, your disability? Absolutely. So... I was adopted when I was one day old, and I was born 17 weeks early 
at 23 weeks gestation and I weighed one pound, two ounces. So in my first year of life, to make this very brief because it's extremely complicated, uh, in my first year of life, I had 11 surgeries and 10 of those surgeries were on my eyes. And those eye surgeries were attempts to stop my retinas from detaching. But my right eye never responded, so I can't see anything out of it. My left eye responded just a little bit. And so I have about 10% central vision in that eye. Um, and my eye condition is retinopathy of prematurity. Growing up with, with a visual impairment must have been yeah, quite tricky, obviously, like through education stuff. Do you want to touch on that at all? So when I was growing up, I went to the Utah School for the Blind from preschool, which is a nursery school for all of my friends over across the pond until uh, second grade when I mainstreamed into public school. So I'd be elementary school or grade school for everybody. And then from there, I went through, uh, we have elementary school, junior high, and then graduated from high school. And then from there, I went to the University of Utah, where I graduated with my bachelor's in history and a minor in writing and rhetoric studies amazing what why history what what drove you to that well i was originally thinking i wanted to be a lawyer and Ah. with the lawyer the history degree kind of went in hand but i didn't do that because the economy had tanked about the time i was thinking about applying for law school and i wasn't sure if i should continue on with that path so i just thought get the history degree and then in the meantime this writing and rhetoric studies minor came out and i thought go for that too because it's basically it's a fancy way of saying i took more writing classes it was more like business writing and analyzing writing so not really creative writing but i had always been drawn to the creative writing stuff in school so if the teachers were like, hey, write a story or a poem or something about this, I was down for that. Where if it was something like math, which I wasn't very good at, I was kind of like, okay, I'll try. (laughs) Not very good, but I prefer, you know, writing and drawing versus mathematics, which I wasn't very good at. When you were at university, were you doing a lot of creative writing in your spare time or was it just sort of within your classes? If I had spare time, I would mainly what I was doing was I was writing down ideas and just keeping them in a file on my computer. And I really wouldn't do anything with them because I was just like, I don't have time to really work on these, but I'll save them for a future. Although I did have, so back in high school, I had gone to a concert of, it was an Elton John concert. And I had this idea for like, hey, what if there was this girl who was, in about my age and she went to this rock concert and the rock star ended up being her dad kind of like a steven tyler lib tyler type thing but i didn't know their story at the time i'd never heard of it so i started writing that and i i did work on that during college just you know finished it up and oh my gosh it oh when i read it today i just (laughs) laugh i'm like you can totally tell i was like in that teenage phase of like you know, just being a teenager, and so it makes me laugh every time I read it. <laughs> I haven't really done much writing in, in my past, but certain things I tried to do, projects I'd look back on, I'm just like, what were you thinking? Like, you, you exactly. were absolutely mad. Like, what were you doing? <laughs> exactly. It's so true. I was in a teenage band, and some of those songs are an absolute travesty. I, I was in a band, album. too. Oh, yeah. I was in a cover band. 
So well, we didn't really they're... do a lot of our own songs. It was just like everybody else's songs that we did. At it's least fun. you know they were good. Right. Well, I like to think they were good. My parents and the, the other parents of the band thought they were good. Our high school friends thought they were good. So I I don't know. Maybe they were good. <laughs> what did you, you do in the band? I was, I so I am a drummer and a singer. Awesome. So you went to, to university, got your bachelor's in history. And what happened then? Like, what was the next stage? Okay. So the next stage was I did like two years of volunteer work for my church and there I was interviewing blind church members internationally so I had a couple from England and all over the world and I was just basically interviewing about their lives so like what would they want to share their story you know like their their blindness conditions their uh any other thing that they wanted to share and just their you know testimonies and God and stuff and while I was on that mission I met my mentor and I interviewed her and she was blind, obviously, <laughs> and she was an author. And I was just kind of like, whoa, I never knew of any blind authors, really, that I had known in my personal circle. Yeah. So I asked her if I could keep in touch. And I told her, I was like, hey, I'm like working on this manuscript. I said, could I contact you when when I'm done with it? And would you mind helping me out? Because I don't know what I'm doing. She goes, sure. So while I was doing all that volunteer work, I was writing this manuscript. And it was something that I had kind of thought of in college when I was writing those ideas down in that computer file. And I just left it alone. Um, And the main idea was there was this doctor who was going to go to Africa to help with some kind of service thing, you know, and, and I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And I tried a few different scenarios and they just didn't work well the ebola epidemic Hmm. came out and i started researching it and i thought i could i could do something with this and so i wrote this manuscript it was really well researched my mentor actually said when she was reading some of it she goes your writing sounds like a research paper and that's not bad she goes that's not a bad thing but she goes we've got to teach you how to write like a novelist. And I was like, well, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> so when I finished it and I sent her, I think I sent her the first 10 pages. That's usually what editors will have you do. So they can look at what you've written and then they can edit it for you and just you can see if you're going to work well together. So she took a look and was like, well, it's okay. And I said, honestly, I'm really embarrassed because I knew that it was sappy. Yeah. And I was like, there's this one part in this this big manuscript where it was about this service trip that I wrote about this doctor who goes to Africa and helps with the Ebola epidemic. And it was like maybe three or four pages. And I said, that is honestly one of my favorite things, but I just glossed over it. And she said, well, take that and write a whole new book about it. And I was like, um, okay, there goes two years down the drain like (laughs) oh you know and I was like well sure but I don't know what I'm doing and she goes well no worry I'll help you and I was like "Are, are you serious and she goes absolutely she goes I believe in helping other people when you've got the tools to do it and I know how to do it so let me help you so basically for the next six months I became her mentee or apprentice and we wrote a new book together and she coached me on how to write dialogue, how to 
you know, properly build characters and then build the world that they live in and then how to, you know, the, the grammar rules that nobody looks at and the the dialogue yeah. rules that nobody looks at except if you're an author and you have to pay attention to those things and I couldn't believe that she was like yeah here let's work on this and I mean there were days where I was like this is great I'm learning there were days where I was like why am I even doing this like is this worth it and she was always just like you're doing better than you think you are and she goes I wouldn't do this if I didn't see you have the discipline to learn and take what I tell you and apply it. Yeah, what was your end game on that then? Was the end game to get published and have other people read it? Yes. Oh, always, always, yeah, okay. I think I chose the genre of writing because of my mentor, because that's what she wrote. She had published two books at the time, and I was just, I read them and I was like, oh, I like this. So my genres are romantic suspense because. I like romantic stuff. Like, I'm a girl. We like romance, right? (laughs) But if if there's not a lot of action, I've discovered as I've read tons and tons of books, I get really bored. And so for me, I'm like, I've got to have the romance, but I've got to have the action. And I can't just have, no offense to, um, what was her name? Who wrote Pride and Prejudice? Jane Austen. You're going to the dances, but can we have some like war or something going on? So for me to be entertained, I was just like, I've got to do where there's girly romance and then action and violence. So I don't know. Nice Nice mix. (laughs) Of course, like you you got to to write in your first book and obviously it must be a success for you to to want to do more. But as as far as sort of like your process, of course, you had this this story in mind. But like how, how was it actually writing, like the actual putting it all together? Firstly, how how did you write? Did you write on a computer? Did you write with like a braille notepad? Um, it was me. It was all just computer. Okay. I was writing on the computer. I'm heavily into research. That's just the historian in me taking over. Where I was like, I kind of told myself that. Well, actually, I was in college in university when getting this history degree, and I was thinking at the very end man, if I could write a book and research something on it, I would love to do that. And then I was thinking, yeah, right, like that'll ever happen. And trying to keep trying to keep uh, the dream real, you know, reality. And uh, so when I went into this, I just, you know, promised myself that, hey, if you can research something and write about it, go for it. So my books are all really researched. And I so like, I'll come up with a topic, like say the Ebola epidemic and so I researched about it and then I read tons of articles and books and then I talked to former neighbor who was a doctor and got his uh once I wrote something up about it like how to treat it I said hey could you look at this and make sure it's correct so I went to the experts and got their yes no okay let's change this a little bit so that it was correct and then the rest is kind of just all in your head when and you yeah. have to figure out okay like the dialogues and what does what do these people say what does it look like and sometimes that can almost be harder in a way or maybe it's just because as of now I've written so many things that my brain's just kind of like eh, it hurts <laughs> <laughs> but it can almost be harder to create that stuff but when you slave away at it and sometimes it is 
is is just sometimes it's brutal when you're trying to write something and you know you have to do it like describing like what the world looks like or or a chapter where it's not really interesting but you know you have to get on with it and so once you finally get over that though it's fun so I think it's just like anything in life you know, there are good days, there are bad days, there are days where you're just like, I'm going to not even worry about this and put it away, which is really good. Because if you're, I learned um, that if you're really emotional about angry or like happy or sad, you have to put it aside because then it'll show up in your writing. And at first I didn't understand that. But now when I go back and I look at things that I've written, I'm like, wow, I was really, I was really mad or I was really sad or I was way too happy. Yeah. really happy so it's kind of interesting how you just learn how to do that and it takes it took me uh, into the second book which is so the first book is fevered hearts the second book is imprisoned hearts and that was published in uh so fevered hearts was published in 2018 imprisoned hearts was published in 2020 and it took until i was working on imprisoned hearts and shattered hearts i kind of worked on them at the same time for me to really come into myself and find my voice and realize okay i can do this <laughs> with regards to the visual impairment you know when you're mm-hmm. world creating and things like that being visually mm-hmm. impaired from birth do you find it harder to describe the world around you to someone that is fully sighted for example not having known that visual world oh yeah it's interesting a lot of times i'll have like sighted friends or family take a look at what i've done or i'll even have them create stuff for me so like i've written a couple of novellas and one of them is this winter country it's this kind of like quebec i guess or alaska where there's snow everywhere and these people live at the top of a mountain in a resort and I could not for the life of me figure out how to design this place and I was like I I can't see the pictures and I was just having a time of it and so I asked my friend I said hey can you basically don't cop don't plagiarize anything off the internet because we don't want to do that (laughs) but can you look at some pictures and create something for me because my brain just can't do it and she goes yeah so she did um she designed the whole thing And then in another novella that I wrote was kind of in, I guess you could say, like the Middle East or Indian, India, India country. And so it was a library. And again, I asked her, I said, hey, can you do the same thing that you did with that lodge up in the mountains? Could you make me a library? And she goes, absolutely. So I will do that for world world building when I can't see the pictures. Also, with before we came on here, I was asking you guys, okay, you know, like, what are you wearing in those things? I have that limited idea of what people might look like. And you can't just create, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed, black hair, brown eye, green eye, brown hair, red hair, blue eye people. And so I will have friends that I ask and I'll say, hey, can I get your eye color, your hair color and your height and write a, mm-hmm. you know, make a character after you because I just can't do it. So it's definitely a lot of asking help from the sighted folk who know what's going on when I have no clue. I didn't really think of it that way, but that's <laughs> that's really interesting that you are chatting to people and getting getting that perspective from them. 
Yeah, another thing I had to learn, which was really tough in the beginning, was how to write like a sighted person. That yeah. sounds really weird. But I think as my mentor told me, she's like, as blind people, oh, sorry, just hit my desk. <laughs> as blind people, we over describe things, but that's because that's how we live. Tell that to Tolkien. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so, She's like, you have to learn how to write like you can see. And I'm going, what are you talking about? And she goes, you can't over-describe, like, if you're in the mountains. You can't over-describe the fact that you're walking on, like, a like a spongy forest floor. And then there's rocks and there's sticks and you're stepping on them. And then you smell, like, the pine trees. And there's, like, a creepy bee that's following you or something. And she's like, you have to learn how to just describe a little bit and let the reader infer a lot of that into their heads and sometimes I catch myself in the habit of over describing and I'm like wait gotta take that out that's way too much so I guess old habits die hard huh absolutely so when it came down to like sort of like the editing side of things you know you're using a computer like how did you find that because there's a lot of lot of content to get through and do you use a screen reader or, or do you have enough sites to sort of get through it yourself Oh, if I had enough sight, no. <laughs> no, when I look at a Word doc, honestly, all I see is just like white and in the of the page and then like this dark, dark, dark blob of something, but it doesn't even look like if I get up really close, then I can tell that there's double spaced lines, but it just looks dark to me. And I'm just like, I can't even make sense of any of this. Yeah. So I use so I use Jaws is the screen reader that I use and I do as much editing as I can on my own. I will have, again, the sighted uh, folks let me know what's going on. Um, I do have brilliant editors that I pay who do all of that for me. And they're the ones who make me sound like a million bucks. Because when I send the manuscripts to them, oh my goodness, they are disasters. And heaven knows what fonts I've got going on. And if there's really random italicized things, I have no idea. Hmm. <laughs> They're like, did you mean to do this? No, no, no. So they can tell what needs to be fixed and then they fix it. And then I go back through and accept what they've done. If they use Gmail or something uh, like Google Docs, that can pose a little bit of a challenge. So I might have someone who cited help me there. But my editor now, she uses Microsoft Word. So I'll just go back through and edit it myself. And that's that's fine. So let's say you've got this finished book now that's fully edited. Mm -hmm. How did you go about getting it published? Was it more difficult being visually impaired? I would say maybe a little bit from, you know, a financial aspect. But it, mainly it was just about choosing which company I wanted to go with and what packages they offered because I went self-published. Yeah. Um, I didn't try to do traditional publishing because that takes a long time. And I wanted to have control over what happened with everything. And I just didn't want to wait and try to get an agent and all of that. So I was looking at Amazon, doing it myself, uh, my publisher, Archway Publishing, where they would take the manuscript and the cover and format everything and then upload it to all of the online bookstores like Amazon and Barnes and Noble, uh, et cetera. Or I was looking at a small indie publisher in 
Nevada. So I'm in Utah, which is in the western part of the United States. And Nevada is west of Utah, right on the border. So we're right next to each other. And so I was looking at those three and I ultimately went with Archway because it does cost a little bit more, but I get more bang for my buck and, you know, they put everything together and I feel like I had just asked so much of my sighted people that I was just like, if we can just eliminate the need for them to do one more thing for me, yeah, let's just go with Archway because they'll put it all together. And once I send it to them, I really don't have to do anything. They take care of it which is nice because I can't. (laughs) And what's the feedback been like on it? Have you spoken to either visually, well, anyone in fact, well, I guess you must have spoken to people obviously, but (laughs) but I guess more specifically visually impaired people, have they read the book? Well, books, I guess, multiple now. That's an interesting question. I I think a few people have, but I haven't really heard much. I think they think that they're good, but... I guess it just depends on what genres they like to read. Um, Mm. I've mainly heard from a lot of my friends and family who are sighted, who have read them and are like, this is great. So I'm like, (laughs) okay, I'll keep going. So I kind of just hopefully, you know, I just want to put them out there. And if anyone wants to read them, go for it. I appreciate it. When I asked you earlier whether the end goal was to get published or just to like sort of write them for you, it was the end goal also to make money. No. Okay, no, that's, but I just thought I'd ask the question. You know, sometimes like authors literally write to make money, or you know, bands release albums to make money. That's a, yeah. George R. R. Martin's been writing for money for years. <laughs> well, no, he hasn't. That's the thing. HBO made him a money printing machine. <laughs> He's not had to write for years and still got paid. Yeah, but yeah. The thing is, and this is this is the why why I have another job. Um, I did a lot of research going into this. And so I knew that even before I even, you know, signed with my publisher and found my editor and everything, I'd done a lot of research and learned that when you self-publish these days, you can make money, but it's not going to pay the bills. So I always went into this thinking, okay, this is a side thing and it's more for fun. And if people like it, that's great. And for now, I just... uh, was lucky enough to get a job proofreading Braille. And so that pays, you know, pays the bills and allows me to do everything. And then the writing is just fun because I don't have a family yet and it's just me. So I'm like, if it's just me, I'm going to, you know, live it up right now. (laughs) Hmm. So Makes sense. Yeah. Young and free and all of that. Exactly. So as far as sort of, any other sort of hurdles like the we've covered a few things about how sort of like visual impairment can have an impact on like the editing and that side of things i mean do you feel like being a blind author like it was harder for you than a sighted author like as far as process and getting yourself out there i guess the one thing i felt when i went into this was when i first got into writing the book with my mentor she had published her first book had a blind character and I didn't want to follow her because I felt like that would have been copying her yeah and I wanted to prove to myself really and everyone else that hey I can write really well and the character doesn't have to be blind yeah so I wanted to establish myself and do a few books and then the children's books 
before I wrote my first blind character and that book's actually coming out this year with my first blind character and I felt like I could finally talk about it a lot more because I was I have established myself if that makes sense absolutely it's sort of like the the old adage that you know write what you know isn't it like if you write from lived experience and that's what a lot of authors would recommend and I think Stephen King even says that yeah write from lived experience as best you can but then like you said there then you want to prove that your lived experience is very different to sort of majority of people so you want to prove that you can be you know you can write outside of those constraints and you've had a, a trilogy of books which haven't had sort of your lived experience in in, in there and that's great like that, that you've got that validation that you can do that and not have to go you know to the the easy like the easy lane right. of oh let's pull from that because that's something I know and I I can do this better than anyone so true if you had any advice throughout your journey for any other person who was looking to to become an author and let's say they have a disability and they're thinking oh I can't do that do you have any advice or like from what you've found, which makes things easier or will better prepare someone? I would say do a lot of research and just find your niche, whatever genre you want to write about. Make sure you kind of know the ins and outs. So read books or articles and just learn the business as much as you can. Start writing, obviously. Um, A lot of people kind of get stuck there. They're like, I don't know what to write. And my best advice is just start writing. It doesn't matter if it's a mess because everything I do is an absolute tragedy. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's horrible. Like I'll read something and I'm like, geez, I think I just repeated myself. Why did I do that? What did I say? What? Okay. Switching <laughs> verb tenses from present to past, back to present. What are you doing? So it's going to be a train wreck and that's perfectly fine. But the most important thing is just start writing and then, you know, you can always fix it up with an editor later. One thing that comes to mind is actually there was a book I had read a few years ago called The Banyan Tree by Christopher Nolan, I think is his name. And he was from Ireland and he had some kind of disability. I can't remember if it was what it was, but he couldn't really move his, he was paralyzed basically. And he used the eye tracking software that they have and he wrote this whole book. And I read it and I was amazed. I was like, holy cow, this guy had so many ideas in his head. And he wrote it with, you know, the eye tracking software that obviously I can't use. (laughs) But it was amazing. And so I would honestly just say to anyone who wants to do this, go for it. And welcome back. Damn it, I was going to say that. Well, you can say it now. No. God, say it. And we're back. <laughs> Good. Are you happy now? Nah, no, it felt forced. Because it was entirely. Well, there is some literary prowess from a published author. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Also, if you're interested in Macy's books, there will be a midweek bonus episode coming out where Macy talks more about the books that are coming out and what you can expect for them. So check that out if it's something you're interested in. But really enjoyed this chat with Macy. It was uh, really good to have someone in the literary space. That's like that word. Literary? Yeah. Or space. 
both. It depends what space we're talking about, like indoors or outer. I concur. Until next week, <laughs> folks. <laughs> yep, stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Seesaw Podcast. Your feedback and comments mean a lot to us, so if you'd like to get in touch, you can do so in the following ways. You can find us on Twitter at SeesawPod, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Seesaw Podcast. And you can also join us at SeesawPodcast.com. Remember to like, rate, review us, and share us with a friend. This podcast was recorded in front of a blind audience.